Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. High performance need to be in that fail-safe environment so they're willing to explore and to iterate. So really help them to do that. The way that I solve the problem with them, it's not just that you're good, you're good, just pump them up. No, it's actually, let's look at a problem. I actually agree with the solution. And this is why I like your solution. Help them to gain the confidence and give them that kind of hard opportunity to try it out. And you know, they will build up the confidence so much. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. The most valuable resource you have is your team. But what's most often the case is that we have to operate in a constrained environment, whether that's budget constraints or time and effort constraints. So the simple reality is we have to do the best with what we have. In this episode, we have a conversation with Elaine Zhou, CTO at change.org, about up-leveling your team, especially in constrained environments, and building self-sufficient teams so that you can spend more of your time and effort focused on the company vision and technical direction. We cover some of Elaine's favorite frameworks and strategies for creating self-sufficient teams and for amplifying high performers, what it's like navigating different operating constraints from nonprofit to VC-backed contexts, self-assessments that you can use to determine your future priorities, and how to balance investing and impact when there is no revenue expectation. Let me introduce you to Elaine. Prior to joining Change.org in 2020, Elaine was CTO at Vidado and has held leadership positions for over a decade at companies including Homestore, Planted Out, IAC, and more. She's been a longtime mentor at Upwardly Global, a national organization working to support immigrants and refugees with international credentials to restart their careers in the United States. Enjoy our conversation with Elaine Joe. To formally kick off our conversation, Elaine, I just wanted to say welcome. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. How are you? Good, good. I'm doing fine. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Super excited to uh, share my experience here. I figured before we we jump into some of the topics that we wanted to, to cover, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about what you're up to now and why you got involved with change.org. And so I was wondering if you could share a little bit about you know, why change.org? And what has been sort of your favorite moment of leading engineering there so far? So I'm the CTO, currently the CTO at change.org, which is the biggest social change platform in the world. We have over 400 million active users and on our platform every day to try to create change they want to see in the world. Throughout my career, having a purpose and impact is the number one reason when I'm making a decision, career change decisions and move from one opportunity to the other. A couple of years ago, when I helped taking an AI startup to a successful exit, I faced a decision of I want to continue to stay with the parent company to help build and grow the team and the product in a public fintech, a successful fintech company, or to tackle another 
bigger problem. At the time, it's the beginning of the pandemic. Um, the racial justice movement just started. And we're right in the middle of a U.S. election. So all these just make me feel like maybe I need to go back to my core to see what I can do using my skill sets and technology to create a social impact. And that's why I'm here at Change. And so far, it's really a rewarding, challenging, yet a very rewarding journey. My uh, favorite moment, though, I would say that every times here, this is opportunity that I have feel very fortunate I bring in impacts right away and utilize my skill sets and bring in my kind of for-profit environment kind of skill set experience in a social impact and more nonprofit world. At the same time, learning so much about campaigning, how to create a, you know, changes in the world and be able to work with so many passionate people, not just the technology team, but actually in different aspects of the company in, in a global uh, setting. So that is super rewarding. And we have very passionate, very caring and kind people that are not afraid to stand up to make a change and change the status quo. So that's pretty inspiring. It, it did, I didn't put two and two together uh, when you were talking about sort of the two years ago or so, sort of this emergence, like an inflection point around the racial justice movement, the pandemic and the election and sort of signifying time for change. I didn't put two and two together that that was right around the time when you joined change.org. Yep. For me, a lot of the questions that went through my head right around then was like, what can I do to be somebody that is an agent of change around a lot of these different things? And I, I had a hard time trying to figure out like beyond like my immediate circle, what could I do to help? And so to hear you make a decision around, I can, you know, use all of my skill sets around what I've learned in my professional background to help create a platform that helps support social change. It's like incredibly inspiring. Like that's an incredible story. Thank you. What was like the decision making moment like? Like, can you bring us back to that conversation either with your head or significant others about making that change? Right. I think the first decision is to decide to look for something. The situations outside of me, the surrounding, like we said, the racial justice movement, elections and pandemic really make everybody, especially make me to rethink, what can I do to help out this situation? I don't necessarily know the answer. Nobody knows. And we're still searching, right? What can we do? And, you know, with the end of pandemic, how can we help, you know, improve the environment that we're in, improve the society for the better? But the decision was made that's okay, I need to seek out something different that I can have more direct impact there. And the next thing is, where should I go? Um, so that part is a lot of thing is come from the timing too. It happened that Change was looking for a new CTO. So that was a relatively easy decision. I think the biggest decision is designed to look for something different. One of the things that you and I were talking about sort of in, in preparation for this conversation was how the hardest thing about transitioning to an engineering leader is making the transition to understand some of the business needs. And I think what's interesting is, you know, change.org not only is like its own sort of entity, but it also sort of operates in like the nonprofit space as well. And so I was curious about, you know, can you share about your experience making the transition as an engineering leader to under better understand the business needs and then how that maybe is similar or different in sort of the social impact or nonprofit oriented space? I think they are very similar. It's very all related. I, I yeah. think the bigger question is how did I make the transition to understand the business? When I say understand business, it really needs to get back to the fundamental question of why. 
as a leader, as an executive, that why turn into the business understanding. In the engineers, I can see, you know, if I'm still an IC engineer, I need to understand why. Why are we solving this problem? Why we need to solve this problem? Why this is problems worth saving, uh, solving? And same as business leaders and executives, you we definitely need to understand my biggest learning is grow, you know, as I progress in my career, I start to re- recognize it's not just a problem that's well-defined for me. When you're in a leadership position, I need to participate in defining the problem. Because there's so many things that every one of you can believe that we can change, we can solve, we can make an impact. But what area that we want to focus on? How do we prioritize? What is the biggest problem that we, it's worth solving? So that's when I said that understand the business part. Now, specifically change is every environment that I walk into, I need to understand the domain that it's in, right? Whether or not this is, you know, in the renewable energy space and one of my experience or in the social impact space. Now, understand that the business context and how the entities run also help me to better understand the constraints that I'm working with. For, for example, change is a PBC, public benefit of corporation. That means we have to be self-sufficient. We are not a nonprofit, right? But we are owned, fully owned by a nonprofit. That means we, from a goals and orientation standpoint, we are definitely operating like a nonprofit. With the exceptions, we can't ask for money. We have to generate revenue. We have to be able to support that growth. So that is the important. Understand this will help me to guide the business decision changes, business strategy, te- technology strategy, and technical vision, and help me to explain to my team why we need to look into business growth, why we need to look into revenue. At the same time, we focus on creating impact and value to our users. The constraints area is so interesting to me and what you noted about you can't ask for money, you have to generate money and be self-sufficient and then connect those things and explain about why you, how those things then inform guiding the business decisions, the strategy and the technical vision. Can you share a little bit about how those types of constraints impact the types of decisions you have to make as a leader in terms of the product that you're building or the technical vision and, and the different things that you pursue? Like how does that, how does that impact or inform your decisions? Technology investment requires money. It's called investment. Uh, a lot of the time, we focus on just building the features and just the problems. But in order to do that, the next thing very quickly is if the solution works, then we need to figure out the scaling part, right? Every solution comes with risk. What kind of risk that will come with? How do we mitigate the risk? And how much risk we're willing to take as a business and as an organization? Now, in the startup world, depending on what stage of funding you're in, you might be able to actually have enough funding that we don't need to worry about the cost of the investment because the goal is that we want to spend that much money to tackle the market, tackle the market share to grow the team, right? But for us, we have to operate within our means. We have to really careful in projecting our revenue streams. That means we really need to work into the revenue part. Now, because we are a for-profit, the revenue, we have to really think hard. Is it the money that we want to take? Are we making revenue in the right place to meet our guidance, our missions? Right? In a for-profit, a fintech, for example, hey, there's some companies that we we want to grow, we make revenue, as long as legal, right? That's pretty much, it's a very low bar. For us, no, 
there's an ethical part there. And also because we operate globally, that means we have to figure out where can we make revenue, money in certain markets that can afford and support us so that we can support and invest in regions, and especially the global south. We don't expect to have revenue at all. We won't even remotely break even. We have to support them that way. Mm -hmm. But the impact is huge, right? So it's a well-balanced. So that's really impacting us that every decision we make, we have to well think about. For nonprofit, you can say, oh, we just get money, you know, this year. This Usually a lot of the time, nonprofit, this is how much money we got for this year. Our goal is to spend it all because they can't really take it to the next year. So, so it depends on entity and then configurations. But for us, we have to figure out, can we make money, not just legally, but ethically in a certain area? And we also can support other areas and create the impact. Ultimate goal is to create the impact in the world. The way you laid out the system there, I think is so interesting, especially how you have to strategically sort of map out the areas that you can invest in that do then generate revenue to then where you can invest in areas of high impact, but may not necessarily like expand revenue. I think it's like, it seems so elegant when you, when you lay it out like that way. I was wondering, is there, is there like a, an example or, or a story about one of the product elements at change.org in which you invested in to help generate sort of like a greater impact, but maybe with no revenue and expectation? Probably not specific to a particular feature, but it's more of how we tackle it. Like give you an example. Obviously, we have a payment platform, so we need to be able to process payment transactions uh, for contributions to support certain campaigns or a contribution at an ongoing basis as a membership. And so the typical approach we to do is build up some basic features, tackle and support, in this case, let's say, a U.S. market or English-speaking countries in a market that uh, have the means, we have better understanding that we will get supporters willing to contribute. So that's the target. Let's focus on that first. Now, gradually, that means in other market, we don't even have the proper transactional support. And that's okay, because we know that we're probably not going to get people to contribute and donate and, you know, and join membership. But as we grow... We started as some emerging markets, certain countries like India, you know, Brazil. They started to have a small, small, small group of people are willing to contribute. That means we need to provide that kind of transactional support. That means we need to upgrade our platform to allow plug and play for different payment vendors, right? In U.S. and other countries, and easy to say, well, credit card, easy. But in other countries, it might not be, right? It could be peer-to-peer. -peer. So now the investment decision is different, but that's the second phase. So this so on, so on, just a lot of examples like this. We test in certain market first, and then as we see the opportunity, we expand to other markets. In some cases, we also need to change it uh, a little bit for different markets, and that's kind of get into the localization space. So it's so interesting to hear the thought process be behind that. I was wondering, because that sort of strategic framework is different than the content, as you were saying, like different, maybe the, the startup comparison you were sharing before. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the opportunities or benefits that those constraints provide. And if there were maybe lessons from those opportunities that could be impactful for other leaders who maybe 
are existing in like a private startup sort of VC funding sort of context. Are there any opportunities and then lessons that people can apply in a different context? I, I do think so. If there's anything I want to share this experience, I want other leaders in the for-profit world to think about. Sometimes it's a worth to invest in area on surface. Initially, you might not bring in the revenue, but there's a potential there, right? It's worth to think about that because the impact and for us, it's the impact, but other business could be the market share, the user base, so that you can get to the stage that evaluate additional growth and revenue opportunity. I'll give you an example, in one of the markets, uh, this particular market, for the right type of campaigns, because the work that our campaigner, basically campaigner for us is almost a, a Similar to customer success team and other typical organizations on the ground, we're able to create very powerful petitions and campaigns that at times get over a million people support and sign. But because that particular country, the revenue is literally like you talk about a few hundred dollars when it converts to US. But that doesn't make any business sense if you think about that, right? A million people. I mean, basically, the contribution we got won't probably even support the AWS view, right? So should we not bother to do that? Well, that's a decision, right? But what you see is the opportunity is rising tide raise all boats, right? When you actually learn how to create powerful campaigns in those regions, that's one learning. We figure out how to engage people and we actually change, you know, make huge progress in that particular country. That's important. That's the impact. But the learning also helped us to open up other potential, other opportunities. And for example, we are moving into, we call movement leaders. I mean, it's not just focus on campaigns and first time a starter to create petitions. We want to focus on repeat powerful leaders. So these leaders could potentially create campaign in small regions and countries, but have a global impact. So if we don't invest in that, we don't know those people, who they are. Like Malala started her very first petition on change.org years ago wow. before she became so famous, right? Think about that. Think about that power, right? If we don't invest in those areas, we don't make this system globally accessible. We never be able to serve them, right? Now, I, I do think that we missed some opportunity to actually build out more features to support these leaders because our focus and previously is more focused on first time, not say professional or prosumer uh, starters. But now we kind of move into want to really figure out is there ways that we can better support these leaders, these repeat campaign starters? To transition our, our topic around, uh, we were talking a little bit about almost like self-sufficient sort of business decisions. Sort of another version of this self-sufficiency is sort of creating self-sufficiency within your teams. Personally, one area that, that I have really struggled with as a leader and that I've seen a lot of other folks struggle with is this idea of like trying to make this transition, you know, out of, you know, one sort of area of focus as a leader, getting your team to be self-sufficient and then being able to change the altitude or, of your leadership or change the area of your focus as a leader. And so to like get your team to be self-sufficient so that you can then go and focus on a new area and like expand capacity or focus on vision, technical direction, things like that. And so I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your perspective on, on some of the trap that engineering leaders can run into, I guess, ignoring, challenging, or up-leveling their team, and if there are any stories or examples where this came up at, at change.org or otherwise. 
this is a never-ending journey, right? I'm still learning. My biggest learning in, in this part is the first thing is always need to look inside, look at myself, look at the mirror. The first person needs to change is myself before I can really change the team to make them self-sufficient. A lot of time, we are where we are because we do so well in the previous job. And we become so confident in ourselves, so comfortable in our own techniques, right? We're operators. We got successful. That's why we promoted the next level. So we couldn't let go. We couldn't let go. So actually tingering those problems ourselves, get our hand dirty. I mean, in my career, at, at one point, I couldn't let go of writing code, even when I moved the leadership position. And I go back and forth. We couldn't let go of actually solving the problem ourselves because we so believe our own techniques. And then I go, the downside is then one, I believe my own way to do things is the only way or the best way. Then I become blindsided. I didn't explore other options. Everyone have their own techniques and they explore that. Two is I'm not helping my team grow. Third one, worse. I put myself as the bottleneck and I can't grow. I can't scale. And I'm stuck when working the same thing once in a while. So, well, I'm already doing this for how many times, how many years? It's no longer interesting. I got jaded, right? So the way the first thing is to let go. So I need to, the way that I train my leadership team is when they come with problem with me, I try to guide them that, well, so how do you solve the problem? Remember, I always coach my leaders and coach myself to don't bring in the problems, bring in the solutions. Identify the problem, the first step. But to be able to synthesize the problem, identify the root cause, it's the next step. The third one is common solutions, right? If you're not sure yet, at least get some ideas. Provide pros and cons, you know, the two solutions. And let your leader pick if you don't think that you're in position to do that, to build up that confidence. And I would turn the table around and say, well, what do you think about this? Now, if you ask me my opinions, this is what I would do. But that's Elaine's. That's Elaine's style. But what's your style, right? What's Patrick's style? So it's kind of turn the table then grow. That gives them the opportunity and also empower them to think about that. And if I can do that with my drugs, that means they will be able to do that with their drugs, their drugs and with the ICs. And now you create this whole flying wheel situation that everybody can be empowered to, to, to grow. The, that model, that framework is super helpful. I'm applying that to my next conversation with folks because <laughs> I think that's that's so immediately actionable. When you're talking about the self-assessment at the at the very beginning, when you're in that space of first evaluating yourself and then you know letting go and, and giving up the sort of the power in decision making for other people, when you're in that self-assessment, are there certain questions that you ask yourself to help just like evaluate and assess where you're at or, or what you can let go of or op opportunities that you have to grow. What does that process look like for you? Normally, Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. I will tackle this. The first thing I try to understand myself is what role I want to play 
in this problem solving. There's so many frameworks, RACI, DASI, you name it, everybody have those. They all try to solve the problem with somewhere a, a way that is well-defined roles and responsibility, right? That's important. So the first thing is assessments. What role should I play? Am I okay to let go to be just informed? That means, hey, Patrick, do this. Figure it. Just keep me in the loop. FII, that's fine. I trust you. You're good. You know, you've done this before. I'm totally fine. Or I want to be the consultant, meaning, hey, Patrick, make sure you talk to me. I have a lot of experience to share, but ultimately you steal your call. Or I want to go all the way to be the decision maker. That means I'm going to be making the decision. Patrick, your job is to help me to understand, assess the problem, give me a proposal, Tell me whenever, and ultimately I decide. Or I can let go of decision, but I want to be responsible for the project. I mean, I'm actually running the execution. So the first thing is I have to decide. Once I decide what role I'm going to play, I need to decide who is the next person that I will go to to take responsibility in, in this problem. And then you kind of help them to help that person to create a team and identify that. Uh, we can problem solve to you know, uh, role plays. And sometimes I would do role plays. I would do skip level conversation when my employees skip level tell me, you know, I have these challenges and problems I face with manager. What am I going to do? I will first, well, this skip level, for example, because there's a gap in terms of experience and I actually have to walk through a framework with this person. And I suggest based on the problem that he's trying to solve and I suggest a framework and we actually role play. I will do that. Really? Yeah, I will actually role play for them. Role-playing is, is so effective because it's really hard to take an insight or a lesson and apply it from a con conceptual space, like the actual practice of trying to use the words or walk through the framework and actually tangibly do something is, is so valuable. And I think that makes all the difference, right? Because otherwise, everybody can read the blog and to figure out they can solve the problem. And that makes the leadership and mentorship and coaching so different. That role-playing opportunity that's specific, tailored to that problem and that person. Is there an example of, of you going through the process of what role do I want to play in solving this problem? And then what that looked like in terms of like you decided on that and then here's how then the person acted differently or, or what that looked like? Yes, I'm actually going through this. Uh, this just happened last week. We recently, as a company, going through some restructures and pretty challenging situations. So that means I have slightly some new responsibility in putting a particular leader that I have. That means that leader need to decide whether how she want to structure her new team, right? With added uh, responsibility in teams, take it as it is, or do it slightly differently make it her own. What it was before is obviously something that I proved, you know, I plan it, but I have to let go of that this leader to decide how she wanted to take it. And she would ask me, oh, you know, should I do this? And so, well, no, it's your team. The goal is X, Y, and Z. Some of the goals that still remain the same. Some of those, we know it's a smaller team, small number of people is fewer, but the number of team, the responsibility, the area focus for her is expanded. So you got to come back to sign and she have a suggestion. So I think we stood X, Y, and Z. And I didn't actually necessarily agree with a couple of the particular changes because I knew certain team dynamic and area interest and focus, but she didn't know yet you know, because the new staff to her. And I said, well, that's possible. But let me tell you that I have some concerns and there's pros and cons to your decision. Why don't you figure this out? And I give her some pointers who should 
her uh, talk to, and she come back with a different proposal. What is the exact proposal that I will have done? Hmm. So now the good thing is I actually feel way more confident now because it's the proposal I would have done. So who doesn't feel like being validated with your decisions? I feel good. And I also have confidence that we're moving aligned and moving forward to the right direction. At the same time, it created an opportunity for her to talk to more people, learn about her new team and come up with a new decision. And that new decision is her idea. I didn't tell her that's what I did. It's her idea. Most importantly, she understand why without me to try to explain because I can tell her this is how you should do it. And this is, I can also tell her this is why. But she goes through a why. It actually doesn't slow things down. It took her, you know, less than a week to talk to a few people. It's fantastic. I think that's such an important distinction there. There's a quote, one of my one of my favorite quotes of all time is authorship equals ownership. And that if you give people the opportunity to determine something for themselves or to have stake and in authorship into something like then there is just this sense of greater, greater ownership. And so to hear the impact of that conversation and the story you shared, I think is incredible. Yeah, I think so too. I, I, I think it's also helped both of us learn a little bit more about each other's style and create mm. this better working relationship because now we're problem solving together. And I said, I hope that I, my goal is to be able to model how I want that relationship go forward versus, you know, I trust her. I want to demonstrate I trust her, give her the opportunity and versus that I just tell her what to do. She just take orders, you know. When do you feel comfortable or how do you think about like when that transition looks like where the team is quote unquote self-sufficient and you're able to change your focus to a different area and you feel like there is the the trust where they're they're able to to operate independently? I, I think that depends on the goals, the team's goal, what stage you're in. Sometimes when you when I reach that kind of stage, as the team grows, and for some sometimes getting new people, sometimes you know, as strategic direction changes or restructures, then we probably need to fall back to need to regain that kind of muscle. Right. So it really depends. The goal for me is always trying to reach that position. The team is understand clear on about their objective and they themselves have the right dynamic. They operate and trust each other, respect each other, be able to operate uh, sufficiently so I can move on, focus on other areas. And usually other area is potentially a new initiative new product, new team, and then you start the journey again. That's great. So when you're when you're considering changing your focus, I guess is the age old question of how do you choose what to focus on? Like what becomes the biggest, the next biggest priority? Or when you think about like, oh, I have more time because this team is is operating effectively and self-sufficiently. Now I have the ability to to focus on, you know, the next next important thing. How do you how do you determine that? What's your process there? I think reality is none of us have more time. We all set 24-7. That, that's reality, right? Yeah, so um, yeah. trying to play it about the whole being with nerdy and, and being precise. But I, I think leaders constantly facing how to prioritize. It, it's not a more time. It's how much we're willing to let go, how much we see the most important thing. What's How do we prioritize? And how do we be able to ruthless uh, focus and prioritize and things? The first thing is have to come from the top level. And being the C-suite, that means I'm only part of that. Is that at the leadership executive level, I have to make sure that my CEO, my my counterpart, the chief product officer and the COO, and so all we all align. What is the company's objective? And you know, at the same time, we, we want to make sure that we got the board's blessing on that too, right? 
what is the company objective? And from that, you kind of trickle down, cascade it down to, okay, what is the technology team's focus? And we need to have some healthy debate. And for, for me, usually my thinking process is, if this is the company objective, you know, at the company level, it's just like, what are the problems we're trying to solve? There's so many problems we can solve. What is the top few problems that we can solve that are strategic if we solve that? It will bring in this kind of revenue, this kind of impact, that value to our users. So that is the most important thing, identify that. Once I identify that in the engineering side, okay, so if we need to bring in this kind of user impact and solve these problems, how do we solve it technically? Again, there's so many things. You can automate it. You can using, you know, build software and focus on, you know, front end central or focus on performance and scaling a back end central. Or how about these days, ML and there's so many different ways. But which way would give us the best return and the fastest? Um, so those are decision making. So so those are things that I would like. And then you know, the other thing is self-interest too. Right? I don't want to not recognize that. A lot of times it's easy for the leaders to talk about business and forget about individual self-interest. And I've been mm-hmm. the first time here. I have my interest too. And in every stage of my career, I'm very clear what I want to do or what I would like to explore, right? Whether or not that's an area that a uh, brand new that interests me or area that I'm good at, I want to do even better or things I'm not good at that I want to improve on. Recognize that it's important, right? These days, if we don't recognize the importance of us, uh, career development and ourselves and on our staff, we can really create and high-performing team that are people are engaging toward a common goal. So I do want to recognize that. And so for, for me, in different stage of my career, I have different focus, you know. I think that's such a such an important point. Um, and I want to ask you, what, what uh, what's the area you're most excited about right now that, that you're really focusing on, on, on growing? Absolutely, is the area of utilize ML and AI to create an even bigger outsized impact, right? That means how can we make data as the strategic asset of the organization. Data serves a lot of purpose in these days. You know, we as an industry we move from 10 years ago, we talk about big data, barely just from an operational standpoint, figure out how to store the data, how to keep up with the data. Now that we start to explore how do we utilize the data to help make business decision, help product decision, to help you better product with better user experience to help to do ML and AI experiments and and research, right? And then I think the next phase is how can we figure out a way to collect more data, generate more data, and integrate with different systems and make the data to be strategic, to be useful. I don't want to undermine different kind of pieces, but I I don't want us to just use data to strictly focus on, let's sell more products, right? Uh, Send more feeds, but really create an impact. For us, it's create the connections, help to create the audience for our starters to connect with decision makers and be able to uh, share knowledge and utilize collective power to really change society for the better. I wanted to ask you about amplifying your best performers. Because when we're talking about creating self-sufficient teams, a lot of folks in the industry right now are in a place where there is a lot of sort of restructuring um, and reorienting and reprioritizing just because of the dynamic environment that all of us are in. But we we haven't spent any time talking about like amplifying your best performers and helping support them to enhance their their impact. I was wondering if you could share your perspective and approach uh, around 
amplifying best performers. Wow, this is actually one of my favorite topics and also my pet peeves <laughs> and my uh, management philosophy. I, I think leaders need to do more to amplify their top performers. That means they need to spend more time to work with and support and help their best performance to growth. More than a lot of time, leaders spend a lot more time focused on low performance, not to say they are not important, but we really glad the people who contribute the most have the highest ambition and aspiration that they got the least uh, support. So the way to do it for best performance, usually you, they actually don't need a lot of handhelding. I just need to tell them what I'm looking for, what is the goal, and try to listen to them, understand first thing is understand what they want to do first. Again, it's all about finding the right fit and right matches. So I have direct conversation with directs or skip level conversations so that they will share for me what they're really exciting about, what they want to do, what are the pet projects working on, what challenge, what area they want to go. Once I understand that, I will match what we are doing as an organization that my potential have the alignment, match the goals and give them that opportunity. The other thing is remove roadblocks, right? Top performance, they are natural problem solvers. So they're eager to take initial go. But a lot of time, they face a lot of roadblock. They don't know how to move. And their solution usually is to work harder, put more hours, right? <laughs> Just go drop. Sometimes that's the right thing to do, especially for technical projects. But a lot of time, what leaders can come in is, wait a second, is that roadblock, I might be able to remove that roadblock very quickly. Right? It might be hard for them to do it. I can work with, well, this is not the area of focus. Like for example, I am a researcher, so we need this data. We don't have the right data. Well, guess what? I can find budget for you to create those data. We can hire people to clean up those data so that you don't need to manually clean up these data so you can focus on doing modeling research. You need tools? I can help to create those tools and remove those roadblocks. And then the other thing that help is collaborate with them to do brainstorming or help them validate their solutions. Lots of time we're bringing this up. I'm thinking to do this. What do you think? As much they really eager to solve the problems, every one of us, especially surprisingly, many high performance also dealing with imposter syndromes in a certain yeah. degree, right? So really help them to do that. The way that I solve the problem with them is not just that you're good, you're good, just pump them up. No, it's actually, let's look at a problem. I actually agree with the solution. And this is why I like your solution these are the reasons really to engage them, to support them, empower them, and also get help them to gain the confidence and give them that kind of hard opportunity to try it out. And you know, they will build up the confidence so much. The last thing is be responsible and accountable. I told my people that if we fail, being the leader, that means I own up the failure. Because even though I don't do that project, I approve that direction. I proved the solution, right? So I have to be accountable for that. I don't need to take credit. I don't need to brag about self. I don't need to say that this is my idea. If the idea works because they are my team, naturally, that means I did my job, right? So credit goes what credits, you know, should deserve, but I own up the failures. That is what I hope is to help them to ease the concerns, to create a fail-safe environment. High performance need to be in that fail safe environment so they're willing to explore and to iterate, right? 
I, I really appreciate the concreteness in which you're able to to create the framework around there, especially the the validate their solution, giving the specific feedback of here is why I like your approach. To me, it seems because I definitely have been guilty of being like, yeah, that sounds awesome, that sounds great, go for it, do that. But really, the the value is in telling people why you believe in their particular solution, and that's uh, that's more valuable than just giving a thumbs up saying, yeah, that sounds great, go for it. That's fantastic. Well. Elaine, we are getting close to our, our time. Are you ready for our rapid fire questions? Absolutely. Okay. What are you reading or listening to right now? Ah, lately I've been go back to some classics. Uh, <laughs> so I'm uh, reading, I most of the time do audiobooks. So I'm reading a lot of technical and um, business technology kind of books right now. I'm go back to some of my favorites, like from Lean Startup to, you know, Measure What Matters and just to do some refresh um, work. I love Measure What Matters. I also love the Lean Startup book. Those, those are classic ones that should be reread often. So that's fantastic. Next question. What tool or methodology has had a big impact on you? Surprisingly, <laughs> uh, the methodology have a huge impact is probably the whole RACI and models uh, here and BASI and RACI model. Because at that time, when I first introduced those, I was uh, a little bit struggling to figure out the roles and responsibilities and how do I make sure that I lead instead of I putting myself the, the, the bottleneck of everything. So that methodology really helped me fundamentally. And, and you know, I, I always try to uh, do that. But uh, from a principle, you know, standpoint, I always believe in those, not to be too crusaders, servant leaders. We lead because we are ready to serve, you know. Next question, Elaine. What is a trend you're seeing or following that's interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream yet? This can also be answered since you have a really high-level perspective on movements going across the globe through change.org. So this could also be like an interesting movement that you're seeing trend on change.org that could be interesting to, to highlight. But also any other global like widespread trend you're, you're seeing or following that's interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream. It's probably an answer that combine both my change experience and then something of my belief. In the last few years, and we all know ML is moving forward, and I think it's become mainstream, right? So the solution we utilize ML in a lot of solution, it's going to continue to grow. It will happen two ways. If you look at the last 100 years in the technology side, uh, we go through different re revolutions, industrial uh, revolutions, is to mass production of everything, bigger impact. Everything's bigger, like Facebook, bigger Amazon bigger, you know, manufacturing, create more goods and faster. And we standardize. And one of the key is to standardize and optimize to no end. I see this next wave. We're still going to improve productivity, still going to make bigger impact. But we come with not necessarily more of the same, but actually specialize tailored solution. That means that go back to 200 years ago, how we build human build product is so tailored. It's all custom-made product. And that is solving specific needs. People are so engaging and so far in love with. And I think the technology, whether it's ML and everything, will help to combine these two very different approach into one that solve that problem, meaning that we can solve big problem, large scale globally. But the solution, whether or not a solution and change and social impact of creating products like shoes is customized to the individual's need and like. And I think that we haven't not solved yet, but I see that's the trend. It's going to happen. We will solve that. The world will solve this problem. 
It's such a great trend to spotlight. I mean, now that you mentioned it, I'm like, I, I feel like I've started to see some of the signals of that pop up in like different sort of subtle ways, whether that's, right. you know, the, the apps like helping you try on stuff like the, the mirror app or some shoe like companies are like creating custom shoes because everybody's foot is like both your feet are different sizes, like all those types of right. things. So right. that's, that's yeah. great. Last two questions. What's been one of the most meaningful in-person experiences with your team, company or otherwise? Doesn't have to be the most. One of them, though. It has been super challenging the pandemic the last couple of years. Uh, but most recently, we actually uh, at Change we have a leadership offsite, a leadership at all levels, like uh, uh, individuals and ICs and managers, doctors and C suites. Uh, we all get together in campsite in upstate New York and in, literally in the middle of the woods to strategize our future. So it's fantastic. And I met people the first time, you know, since I joined this company. <laughs> years. Uh, it's just fantastic. I miss that kind of human in-person connection so much. That sounds like a ton of fun. Workshops and team retreats are probably my number one happy place. So very, very envious of that. And upstate New York is also like in the top five most desired places on my travel bucket list right now. So next time I'm hoping for an invite. That's me throwing a plug out. Um, <laughs> all right, Elaine, last, last question to send us off with. Is there a quote or a mantra that you live by or a quote that's really been resonating with you right now? I think this is a quote from Steve Shops. It's about, you know, we hire these, you know, maybe people, right? We really need to push them to be better. We empower them. We really push them to be better at what they have to do. And I think that is something that counts and serves a reminder for me and as a leader. My job is not just to make this team be more productive, create the values, impacts to the world and to the company, but also help them to grow. I think a, a fantastic quote to close us off with, Elaine. Thank you so much for sharing incredible stories and your perspectives on supporting people's growth and the aspiration to create a more self-sufficient team and to empower people. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for spending some time with you. Really, that's been fun. So look forward to more conversation. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.